0: Thank you, Tom, for that introduction. I was going to introduce myself, but he's already done it. But, uh, great to see you guys. Thank you for having me this evening. Um, my name's Gareth, if you didn't already know. Uh, I'm married to Rachel, and we have a five-year-old son named Caleb, and he's a special little guy. If you know him, you'll know he's mad about Lego and flamingos. Those are his two greatest uh, passions, but who isn't mad about those things? Um, I certainly do like Lego, although I'm not such a fan of Lego when it's dark and I've got no shoes on and I'm trying to dodge the Lego that's strewn across his bedroom floor after kissing goodnight and I'm kind of tiptoeing around it. We call it the, Me and my wife call it the gauntlet. It's like Russian roulette with every step because it's not fun to stand on. Let me tell you, folks. There's, there's my top tip. Don't stand on Lego. It's not fun. Um, is there any other Lego fans in the house? No, just me. That's fun. I'll move on. Uh, I promised Caleb I would ask that question, so there we go. Um, Anyway, as we said, I've been part of this church for about 15 years. Um, I'm on the staff team here, uh, part-time alongside my other job, which is working in secondary school. Um, So if I look a bit surprised, it's because someone's actually listening uh, to me for once. Uh, um, But um, Rachel and I, for the past nine and a bit years, have lived in a part of Sheffield called Furvale uh it's a great place to live we love it there we're passionate about our neighborhood and it's a fantastic place to call home if you've got your bible with you we're going to be looking at acts chapter 15 tonight so for those of you who want to be prepared feel free to get it open on acts chapter 15 it will also be on the screen when we get to that that point first i'm just going to pray for us very quickly father thank you for your precious word it's a gift to us Thank you that you use it to guide us, to encourage us, to teach us, to challenge us sometimes. We open our ears to hear what you want to say to us tonight. Amen. So just to give a bit of background, as Tom said, we'll be looking at uh, what it means to be exiles and ambassadors for Jesus. And in the evening gatherings, we've been following the book of Acts Uh, and the story of Paul. who used to be called Saul and he used to like to persecute Christians until he became one himself after a powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. And now he's going around preaching the good news about Jesus and planting churches. Uh, if you're new to church, it might help if I explain the bit of jargon I just used. Church planting just means starting new communities of faith, or starting new families of Jesus followers, new churches. It's a funny word, isn't it, church planting? Anyway, um, this part of Acts is commonly referred to as Paul's missionary journeys. But I think it's actually more accurate to call them Paul's church planting journeys. Uh, A guy called Roland Allen, who is a missionary, explains why. There should be a quote appearing. Roland Allen said that Paul did not go out as a missionary preacher merely to convert individuals. He went to establish churches. So Paul is going out and preaching the good news. The good news that Jesus came to rescue us, came to die for us to give us a clean slate and a fresh start so we could have the relationship with God that we were designed for and made for. And that Jesus rose from the dead. It's really good news that needs sharing and Paul loves to share it wherever he goes with everyone and anyone. But it doesn't stop there. The result of Paul's preaching is always that churches are established and set up. And it's true to say that everywhere in the book of Acts, where the message of Jesus Jesus is shared, churches are created. So the book of Acts has got a lot to teach us about church planting, which is helpful because, as uh, we've mentioned lots of times recently, that's part of the vision that God has given to this church uh, for this next season, to plant churches uh, across Sheffield. So we need to listen to the wisdom in this book of Acts to learn something about that. Timothy Keller says, there should be another quote coming up. Timothy Keller says, uh, the most effective way to reach a city with the gospel is to plant churches. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, nor growing mega churches will have the same consistent impact as dynamic, extensive church planting. So if we want to reach this city for Jesus, church planting is both... both most biblical and the best and most effective way to go about it. So that's good news for us. Okay, so now we set the scene about where we're up to in the book and what it's all about. Let's read the passage. It's Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, which will be on the screen, hopefully. In my Bible, it's, the title is Disagreement Between Paul and Barnabas. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay. So three themes jumped out to me from this passage, which I'm going to talk about. Partnership, parenting, and perseverance. So first of all, partnership. In this passage, we get a glimpse into Paul's interactions with his closest friend and partner Barnabas and they have a falling out it's not about a theological issue but about who they're going to pick for their team who they're going to go with who's going to join them on their journey because partnership matters that much to them of course the irony is that partnership matters that much to them that they fail to resolve things in their own partnership and they go their separate ways they who's on their team matters so much that they let it divide their team. That's the irony of this passage. But I don't think this passage is a guide on how to resolve conflict. It's kind of encouraging, though, that even these great heroes of faith, Paul and Barnabas, get it wrong sometimes. Even they have fallings out, and their relationships have ups and downs, just like ours. Sometimes we can put people in the Bible on a bit of a pedestal, like they're kind of perfect people, heroes of faith, Look at them. And these ordinary blokes that, like, was, like me and me, they get it wrong all the time. And so it's encouraging, I think, for, for us, isn't it? What jumps out to me from this passage is the importance of partnership. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's not what you do, it's who you do it with? That's kind of what this passage is getting at, I think. It's like it really matters to Paul who he partners with, who he goes with. And I know from my own experience, the importance of partnership too. This picture on the screen shows some of the people who've been at our community in Fairvale over the years. Some of them are here tonight. Um, have, and that picture was taken at a recent reunion when we celebrated 10 years of Eden in Fairvale. And it's been such a source of encouragement and blessing to Rachel and me over the years that we've not been on our own in Fairvale. There's been people with us, good friends, with whom we share the journey. We're mates on a mission. That's something we often say because the the friendships are important and and sometimes the, the friendships are as important as the task you're doing, I think. Ecclesiastes chapter four in the Bible says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And that definitely rings true of my experience of being mates on a mission. Partnership has been especially important and especially helpful the times when I've need, been in need of encouragement. And we all need encouragement sometimes, don't we? The University of Wisconsin conducted an experiment in which researchers timed how long volunteers could keep their feet in buckets of ice-cold water. Sounds like an interesting experiment. They discovered something really remarkable, that when a companion or a friend was allowed in the room with the person with their feet in the buckets of ice, they lasted twice as long. And their conclusion from their experiment was that the presence of another caring person with us doubles our ability to persevere through challenges. I wonder who those good friends are who help you to keep going when you're in need of encouragement. I wonder which key relationships you're investing in. In our individualistic culture, because let's face it, we live in an individualistic culture, do you sometimes slip into thinking, "I could do it better on my own"? If it wasn't for that person getting in the way and always disagreeing with my ideas. But individualism isn't God's way. God's way is community. And Alan gave a great talk a few weeks ago about community. So if you missed that, check it out online. Like Paul and Barnabas, our friendships are rarely perfect, are they? They all have their ups and downs. But like Paul and Barnabas, investing in strong communities, strong partnerships should be a top priority. Paul could have tried to plant churches on his own, but instead he intentionally invested in, in his partnership with others. He wasn't a Lone Ranger. He went in community. The second theme I want to draw out from the passage is parenting. That's my son Caleb on the screen there, on the, the day he was born. Doesn't look, doesn't look like that anymore. Sometimes there's a misconception that planting a church is a one-off event. Like we send some people, send a leader, send some money, launch a church plant, job done. What would you think if I said that my job as a parent was done when we brought Kelly home from the hospital on the day he was born? If you're a parent here, can I just ask you just to raise your hand? So those who aren't yet parents, or if you've got some news for you, it's not quite as simple as, as that. There's a bit more to it. Of course, it involves ongoing support, doesn't it, for, for, for babies and children as, as they grow up. It involves teaching, encouraging, nurturing, Paying for financially. And the same is true for what it means to be a parent church. In other words, ascending church, a church that plants churches. Ongoing support, prayer, encouragement, financing, etc. And just like a child, baby churches will hopefully grow to become more independent as they grow and mature, but they may not always be ready to cut all ties with the parent church. Straight away, just like Caleb wasn't ready for us to leave him to it on day one. We see this in this passage that Paul says to Barnabas, Let's go and see how the new believers are getting on. Let's go and encourage them. Let's go and strengthen them and invest in them. Paul is concerned with quality as well as quantity in the churches he plants. So he takes time to go back and strengthen. The churches already planted. He could have gone on to plant more churches, gone on a new journey to new places. And that's the kind of thing that Paul liked to do. He an apostle. He used to go to new places to, to preach the gospel and plant churches. Great. But also, he took the time to go back and, and strengthen the churches. He saw, his, he saw his role as a parent to the baby churches to guide, to teach, to pray, to encourage. He visited them, he prayed for them, he sent them letters a lot of the letters in the New Testament are Paul writing letters to his baby churches to encourage them and spur them on. In a parent church, everyone's got a part to play. So some people will go to plant churches and some people will stay. You might be thinking, I'm not sure that going is, right, is for me right now. But could you be someone who commits to pray? For those who are going. Could you be someone who commits to giving financially? Could you be someone who sends encouraging messages? Like, we're praying for you, I'm rooting for you, keep going. I mean, That would make such a difference to those who are going. I guess that's like the modern equivalent of sending letters. But you could even send letters if you want. As well as ongoing support, I'm sure the parents in the room would agree that being a parent also involves quite a bit of sacrifice. Time. Sleep, money, peace and quiet, a tidy house, the ability to go out of an evening without a babysitter, a house that isn't full of Lego and flamingos. And being a parent, church is no different. It involves sacrifice and cost. Some of our, some of your favourite leaders might might leave and go and plant churches. Some of your best friends might go and plant churches. And you won't might not see them every Sunday. There's a financial cost too. So we need to count the cost and be aware that, that, that there's a sacrifice involved. But hopefully, you'll agree, like being a parent, the sacrifice and the cost is 100% worth it. Like I wouldn't trade any of that sacrifice uh, I've made for Caleb. For, uh, I wouldn't. Or, or do it again hundred times because it's worth it, right? Same with, with uh, being a parent church. Mike Statura says that the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. So let's be a church that sends well, that parents well, that embraces sacrifice and gives the ongoing support needed for new churches to thrive. Okay, the third and final thing that stood out to me is perseverance. This is the main thing thing I want to talk about, really. Who does Paul choose for his team? What's important to him in a teammate? What's his criteria for picking his his team? Barnabas wants to take John Mark. He's generally thought to be the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, also known as Mark the Evangelist. Sounds like a pretty great guy to have on a team, right? I can see why Barnabas would want to take him. But Paul says no. He isn't impressed by Mark's level of gifting or his church credentials. Much more important to Paul is character, loyalty, integrity, and the ability to persevere faithfully through challenges. We're told that John Mark had ditched him before in Pamphylia, so Paul doesn't want to take him on the team. And this is far more than just tit-for-tat or sour grapes. Like, you ditched us in Pamphylia, so talk to the hand. I'm not taking, I don't think that's what Paul is, is, is saying. The reason why Paul doesn't want a flake on his team, okay, because he knows that church planting isn't a walk in the park. He knows they're going to face challenges, opposition, trouble, as well as opportunities, transformation, and blessing. He wants someone who's going to stick at it through thick and thin and not give up. And it's a good job that he picks Silas over John Mark for his team because in the very next chapter, sorry, spoiler alert, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison after being stripped and severely beaten up. Maybe John Mark might not have gone the distance. Maybe he'd have given up at that point we don't know but maybe that's what Paul was speculating based on his past history I think that was what Paul was concerned about but Silas was a trooper and he stood firm with Paul even through the the really big challenges they faced sometimes I think maybe we disqualify ourselves from being used by God because of a lack of competence ability or gifting much more important than those things is character. You may not be the most gifted communicator or the most confident evangelist, but if you're happy to serve others faithfully or you're a loyal friend through rain or shine, you're the kind of person others can count on, you turn up every week at a small group, that kind of thing, be encouraged that Paul would have picked you over some of the most gifted uh, by the world's standards. Top of Paul's list of criteria for picking his team was perseverance. I don't hear what I'm not saying. Okay, I'm not saying if, you're, if you have no perseverance and you struggle to stay committed, you only turn up to a small group two out of three weeks, that God can't use you. That's not what I'm saying at all. Let's not forget Peter was a massive flake He disowned Jesus three times, his closest friend, at his darkest hour when he needed him most. And yet God used him powerfully. Peter was the first ever church planter. The Bible is full of flakes and failures who God chose to use. So whoever you are, whatever your flaws, God chooses you. Even John Mark. Paul might have written him off. But he went on to write a book of the Bible. I mean, God God didn't write him off. God used him hugely. The book that book of the Bible that Mark wrote is the one that's the most read by non Christians in, in, in the Bible. I mean, what a guy. God doesn't write us off. God chooses us and he wants to use us. Whoever we are, whatever our history and our past. I want to tell you a bit of my story. When I was 21 years old, I was studying at university, like many of you probably. I was about to get married a few months uh, later and life was going really well, actually. I was, things were going good. Uh, and then I started to experience some really strange symptoms. Like my speech became more and more slurred as if I was drunk all the time. I know what you're thinking, it's a typical student, but that, that wasn't it. I've never been a big drinker, but I couldn't explain what was happening in my body. Then my hands started to not, not work properly. Like I couldn't do things I used to be able to do. I couldn't tie up my shoelaces, or use a knife and fork, or write legibly. Loads of other strange symptoms. I would, I'd shake like uncontrollably. My hands would shake like a tremor, and I'd dribble a lot. It was very, very quite embarrassing to be honest, uh, but. This got all got worse and worse and worse until eventually no one could understand a word I was saying and I couldn't do everyday simple tasks like dress myself and, and so on. I became quite disabled really in a few, over the space of a few months. And to cut a long story short, I was diagnosed with a genetic illness that I never knew I had called Wilson's disease. It's quite rare. Only about one in 30,000 people have it. Um, and yeah, that was quite a, a difficult thing to deal with. Um, and I was diagnosed a week before our wedding. So this was kind of uh, quite, a, quite a strange uh, roller coaster time emotionally. I just want to give a quick, well, I mentioned my wedding, quick shout out to my amazing wife, who, when she said, in sickness and in health, yeah, that was loaded with meaning, right? Because we didn't know how things were going to turn out. The doctor said I might never recover. Like, literally, we had no idea whether I would ever get better, whether I'd be like this forever. And she said, like in sickness and health, and she was my, basically my carer for the first two years of marriage. I mean, she's an amazing woman. If you want to learn about perseverance, talk to my wife. <laughs> I mean, or a partnership. I mean, what an amazing partner to journey with me through my most difficult challenge in my life. Praise God that I have made a good recovery. And you know uh, I had to take a few months off university. I went back to university, I finished my course. I was the first ever person, and probably the last at Sheffield University, ever to do their exams on a flip chart, because so I couldn't hold a pen, but I could, I could do like big like drawing like this, and someone else transcribed my, uh, my, my flip charts onto exam paper. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, so it was a strange, strange time. Um, So I finished my my degree, and uh, that's why I'm proud of that as an achievement, definitely. Um, It's been a long journey, though. It's not been easy. There should be a picture coming up on the next slide. So that's, uh, I used to write uh, one verse from a psalm every day in this notebook as a way of tracking my progress. Uh, and to begin with, it would take me like 30 minutes to write one line like that that you can't even read because it was, it was that much effort just to, to write out a, a verse of a psalm. Um, but um, yeah, it took like 18 months of perseverance to get my writing back to a bit more normal. So the next slide we'll see, 18 months later, that's what it was looking like. And actually, it took longer for my speech to get better. Uh, it's still not quite there. 13 years later, I'm still dealing with some of the effects of my illness. I still have a slight speech impairment, you might be able to tell. I get made fun of by kids at my school all the time because of my voice and my speech. Um, and and I tell them my story, and they understand. But uh, yeah, um, it's been a long journey, as I said. Without a doubt, the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with and go through. Just go to the next slide, please. Matt, thank you. The progress has not been linear either. There were plenty of ups and downs along the way. One of the lowest points of my journey was a few months after being diagnosed. Uh, I'd seen quite a bit of improvement, actually, in my my speech and writing. I was feeling good about things, feeling positive, things are moving in the right direction, And I decided to go and play football with some of my friends on the day before Christmas Eve. Big mistake. Because somehow I went up for a header and somehow fell down on the ground, hit my head on the frozen ground, and got knocked unconscious for five minutes. And spent Christmas Eve back in hospital uh, with severe concussion. And when the concussion wore off, this is the worst bit, my my Wilson's disease symptoms were like worse than ever and I was like back to square minus one and that was just you know such a blow to my uh, the progress I made. Life can sometimes feel like one challenge after another. I don't know if you can relate to that. Tom gave a great talk a few weeks ago about the presence of challenge. My testimony like Tom's is that in the good times and in the challenging times God is faithful. Amen? So why do I tell you this story tonight? How is it relevant to the passage we're talking about and to the point I'm making? Well, we're talking about perseverance. And I want you to know that I speak from experience when I say that perseverance ain't easy. It's easy to talk about. It's not very easy to do. In my experience, there's only one way to learn perseverance, though, and that's the hard way. The Bible says in Romans chapter five that suffering produces perseverance. So my suffering taught me perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. Looking back, my my experience both required perseverance and developed perseverance in me. Horrible though it was, I believe that that experience shaped my character in a positive way. And prepared me for ways that God has used me. For example, living and ministering in Fairvale for almost a decade has been overall a fantastic experience and a really positive thing. And I'm looking forward to the next decade living there. I'm still raring to go. I'm still, I still love it. It's great, but it's not. There's been times where I've had to persevere. Perseverance has come in handy uh, sometimes as a trait. I sometimes wonder whether the thing that's helped me to keep going through, the, uh, through that, that time is, um, is, is that I've learned perseverance the hard way, maybe. That experience I've learned. I know what it means to journey with God through challenges and through adversity and obscurity. I don't know what life is like for you right now. Or what your life has been like up to now. Maybe things are going well for you. Or maybe they're really tough. Maybe you're in the thick of it right now. And as I was talking, you're like, yeah, that's, I can relate to that. Maybe there's nothing serious going on. Maybe there's not long-term illness or grief or that kind of thing. But maybe you're just weighed down with like the pressures of life. Like work pressures, money pressures, family pressures. And you're like just about keeping your head above water, but you feel like you're just in survival mode. And maybe you're like, church planning sounds great, but I don't even have the headspace to begin to think about it right now. I'm just doing well to turn up to church tonight because I'm struggling. So things are hard. If that's you, I've been there. And I'd love to pray for you at the end. If you're in the thick of it right now, if you're struggling and you're feeling like life is that place of challenge right now, I'd love to pray for you. I'd also love to say to you, hang in there. Keep going. Stay close to Jesus. He's with you and he's good and he's faithful. The other reason I tell you my story and uh, this part of my story is because if I'm honest over the years I've often disqualified myself from being used by God because of my disability my weakness God couldn't use me I can't even talk properly <laughs> I can't even dress myself I can't even do this I can't fill in the, the gaps all the things that I used to say to myself and I still sometimes say to myself I've lived this dream to plant a church in Fair Vale the last nine, ten years I've thought, so there's been times when I've thought, how on earth can I do that I've lost all my self-confidence how am I going to communicate the gospel how am I going to disciple others how am I, how am I supposed to lead a community when this is where I'm at and, I'm, and yeah, I'm weak and, and, and yeah not, not, not feeling tough of my game necessarily all the time I've come to realise though that the very thing I use to disqualify myself is actually the very thing that most qualifies me to be used by God. I'm going to say that again. The thing that I use to disqualify myself is the thing that most qualifies me to be used by God. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the foolish things and the lowly things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That's so encouraging for someone like me. I wonder what you use to disqualify yourself from being used by God sometimes. Like what you use to cut yourself out. God couldn't couldn't use me because, fill in the blanks. I'm not this, I'm not that, I am this, I am that. I'm not that person. I'm not like them. We compare ourselves all the time. When we cut ourselves out, we think, God couldn't use me. But I'm here tonight to tell you that God chooses you. He wants to use you. With your flaws, with your failures, with your weaknesses, with your flakiness occasionally, he wants to use you. He's got a plan for you. His plans include you. All we need to do is say yes to him. So that's the question. Are we going to say yes to him? Are we going to step out in spite of our fear and our weakness and our insecurities? Can I just get the band out? Uh, we're going to come to land. Just to summarise, we've drawn out three themes from the passage. Partnership was the first one. Let's be mates on a mission. Secondly, parenting in relation to church planting. Let's be a church that takes seriously our responsibility to send well when we plant churches. And finally, perseverance. Let's keep going when things are tough. Let's not disqualify ourselves. Let's say yes to God and trust that he can use us in our weakness. I'm just pray for us all quick before the band uh, leaves in a response song. God, thank you that you choose to use each one of us. Thank you that we don't have to be a certain type of person for you to accept us. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross so we can be accepted, so that we can be forgiven, so we can be included in your plans in spite of our past, in spite of our failures and our weaknesses. Jesus took all that on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And thank you that you journey with us through whatever challenges we're going through, have been through. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You journey with us through the fire. And you carry us in 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 our darkest hour. And we just say thank you for that. And we want to say yes to you. And step out, and we want to embrace whatever you've got for us in in your plans for us. Amen.